All right, we're going to talk about the love of God. Anyone okay with that this morning? <laughs> I don't use uh, props too often, but I just felt it this morning. All right. Um, just two weeks ago, I ministered on uh, God's love to us and God's love for us and how the revelation of God's love for us transforms our life. And I know we, many of us say, you know, we've been in church all our lives. We hear the message of God's love, and sometimes we just kind of tune out. Oh, have you heard this before? But I spoke on how unconditional God's love is in contra- contrast to the world and how unlimited God's love is. Amen? His love's not limited. It cannot be exhausted. As the revelation of God's love increases in our lives, so does our capacity to love others. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. It's undeniable. Because Jesus said in uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this all will know that you're my disciples, your love for your love for one another. He said that would be so supernatural, so distinct from such a contrast from the world that it would be, it would make them take notice. Amen? And... Then in, in 1 John, as that we are to come to believe, to know and believe the love that God has for us. To come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And when you believe that, now, now this, this morning I'm going to take it to another level and say, coming to know and believe, not only does God's love for us all these things, but God's love through us can be all these things. And that's... That's what happens when we receive his love. Freely receive, freely give. And so I want to speak this morning on God's love through us and and look at that. So we're in 1 John 4, 7, if you're there. And, you know, when you look in the Bible at the number of times that Jesus or the disciples or or the apostles or, or Paul or James, or any of the, in any of the epistles, it's, it's referring to loving one another. It's at least, I counted at least 15 times. There's probably more. And so I think it's worth noting a message that's been repeated that many times. It should probably be, be our primary endeavor to love one another and, and to grow in this love. And so 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Praise God. Let's just pray over his word. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here to speak to our hearts. We thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for your love flowing this morning, for healings, for broken hearts being healed this morning, for bodies being touched this morning. Lord, as your word goes forth, I pray, Lord, you just open the eyes of our heart to what is the hope of your calling. God, that you would cause us to be, to come to know what is the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of your love, and to be rooted and grounded in that love. In Jesus' name, everybody said. So he says, love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, the indicator that we know God and we are born of God is this love for one another. Then 1 John 3, 10 through 15 says, by this, the children of God and the children of devil, the devil are obvious. Somebody say obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. 
Now understand, we sin, we miss the mark. All of sin it comes short of the glory of God. But he's talking about practice. What do we practice? Practicing righteousness. How many have been practicing righteousness? I know these drummers, they practice. And they're much better than me. And uh, they practice frequently, right? I have a lot of respect for drummers. Because they have to, all four of their limbs need to be moving independently. All in rhythm. It's unbelievable. And I kind of envy you. I'm just in a godly way. Because I sit at home, you can ask my wife, even when I work, I'm tapping my feet and it shakes the whole house. And she's like, can you at least be on rhythm? Um, So, no, she didn't say that. Somebody else, somebody said that. Um, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. I mean, no, that's true right now. It's always been true. But as I was preparing this message, I'm like, Lord, what is this Cain thing? And the Lord was saying, you know, you're in a season right now where this is increasing. The, the world's hatred of us, its hatred of righteousness is increasing. But I, at the same time, I believe this in the church, the God's church's love of righteousness is increasing. The church's love for one another is increasing. And so that contrast is going to become greater and greater and greater in the times we're living in. And it also demonstrates to us who's of whom, right? Just as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and says, your father's the devil. That was a pretty straight word. Um, Here they were bragging about their father being Abraham. And he goes, if you were of Abraham, you'd do the works that he did. But the works that you do indicate you're not of him. So Jesus made a clear distinction. There is no in between. Your parentage determines your DNA and your character. Come on. He, we know that we have passed out of death unto life, into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love does not, does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this morning, talking about loving one another, three things I want to speak of. It's a matter of nature It's a matter of nurture, and it's a matter of need. And it's a matter of nature in this, number one. Those who are born of God practice righteousness and love our brothers. How many know when you were born again, really born again, and that experience, all of a sudden these people you thought were goofy and weird, all of a sudden you had this tremendous love for them. These people you thought were bizarre, I don't understand them, they're completely different than me. But then God, God by His Spirit brings forth this new birth experience in your life. And you are born a child of God because you have believed on Him and you've received Him. As John 1.12 says, and now you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And there's a love in your heart for the b- believers. When you meet a believer, there's an immediate connection because they are sibling. So there's marks of the child of God that we see, and he calls it out here, and he says, it's in our DNA as believers, born of blood, born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of the will of God. As it says in John, 
born from above, we have a new nature in Christ Jesus that bears resemblance to our Father's nature. That bears resemblance to our Father's nature. I look at my kids, you, you see as they're beginning to grow older, different characteristics come out. And you see, that's like mommy, that's like dad, right? My son started playing pranks on his sister the other day. And, and my wife's like, I'm pretty sure that didn't come from me. <laughs> that did not come from me. Um, there's characteristics that are coming forth and you begin to see these things. I'm like, yeah, I know that was me for sure. That's my, that's my, that's my son. And then those moments when they do something you're not familiar with, they go, that, hey, your son needs help. <laughs> so that, it's no longer our son, it's your son, your daughter needs help. But we see these characteristics and somehow they're magnified and you go, wow, no wonder my parents got upset with me. I get it now. That's why, that's, isn't that a grandparent's pleasure? Oh, my kids get to discover this thing. Yeah. And then you don't have to deal with it. You're like, I send them home when they start doing that. The evidence of the new birth. Some characteristics good, some bad in our kids. But what's born of God is good in us. Born again DNA. Look at 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren. A sincere love of the brethren. It says, fervently. Somebody say fervently. Love one another from the heart. I, I'm just telling you, this needs to be our top endeavor. How can I love better? Lord, help me to love better. I, none of us have arrived. Anyone here arrived? Because if you have, you come preach, please. I haven't arrived. None of us have arrived at loving each other perfectly. It's something we're growing in. It's a lifetime endeavor to learn how to love one another the way Christ loved us. So he says, fervently love one another from the heart. Not just hourly, but for you have been born again. Here's the, here's the reason you can. Here's the reason you can. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. Because we've received the imperishable seed of his word, born again, that seed has the DNA of who the Father is in us. Your spirit has been born again, and it is sealed in righteousness and holiness, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. So there's this third part of you. Some of you, some of you say, you know, I'm, we, we make this excuse. We'll go, I failed in this. I'm only human. That is not accurate. You are not only human. There's a third of you that is wall to wall, Holy Ghost. Come on. There's a third of you that is born of heaven that is one with one spirit with his spirit. There's a third of you that's been made new. Come on, somebody. And we need to get familiar with this part of us. In Philemon verse 6, it says, I pray that the communication of your faith may become more effective through the knowledge of what's in you for Christ's sake. What's in you? The discovery of what's in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As you're growing in that revelation, you begin to live out of that place of who we are in Christ. Amen? Still with me? All right, sorry. Okay, we're getting to this one. I'm just so excited. I'm not even, it's not even that point yet, but I just want to hit it. All right. We don't love, 
We don't love to get life. Come here. We love because we have been given new life. This love is not of this world. This love for the brethren springs forth from the incorruptible seed that's in us of his word. Now look at 2 Peter 1, 4. Because we are partakers of the divine nature. Partakers. Verse 4 says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, somebody say hallelujah, the corruption that is in the world by lust. Yes, Lord. There's an escape hatch. You don't have to stay in that place. We are partakers of the nature of God, and we can begin to live out of the revelation of that. I'm telling you, you're going to get this, and it's going to be amazing. There are resemblances, okay? Look, I love how he uses the word obvious. It's obvious. I hope it's obvious to the world. If they have to ask if we're Christians, right? (laughs) That it's so obvious that you've been born of God, and what makes it obvious is your love for one another. That's the distinction. Make it obvious. I believe we're coming into a place where it's going to be so obvious and the distinction is so clear who the people of God are because of love. Righteousness. Here's what he said. Here he goes. Righteousness without love because he says they practice righteousness. Those who are born of God and they love one another. Now let me see. It's not they practice righteousness or they love one another. Come on. Because you can't have one without the other. Righteousness without love is just religiosity. Yes, now's the time. Okay, that's so loud. I'm sorry. Pastor, like, Pastor, I can't last. I'm going to leave. Righteousness is religiosity. It's a noisy gong. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31b. He says, and I will still show you a more excellent way. Somebody say excellent this morning. Excellent. Because in that chapter before that, he describes all these giftings. And those are awesome. But he says, you know what? These are meaningless unless you get this. God wants you to major in loving one another. Our top endeavor. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become, come on somebody, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. It seems like in some ways and seasons in the church that we forget this, we lose sight of this, that love is the essence of it all. That without love, it's meaningless. It's either noisy and, 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 and clanging or it's unsubstantive or it's prof- unprofitable. He goes on to say, and if I give all my possessions to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing, not a zero. Love without righteousness is not love at all, but a self-centered, emotional, lawless pursuit of some good feeling that has zero concern for others. It is evidenced in the so-called love of this world. Here's, here's to, to sum it up. Without right living, 
Without right living, there can be no right loving. It's also true that without right loving, there can be no right living. They, but here's what you, I want you to get this morning. Right living and right loving is in your DNA of who you are in Christ. This, isn't some, this is something you believe on. Believe on, I've come to know and believe on the love that God has for me and the love that God has in me because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control without these. apart from, There's no law against these, right? So all of these, it starts with love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit of God in you. It's something He produces in us if we're willing to allow Him to produce it through us. Think about loving your siblings. I know. Some of you, that's not a pleasant thought, but let's just go with it. But even when your siblings are behaving terribly, even when they're not fun to be around, something comes against your siblings and you're on their side. Come on. You're there to defend them. That, that blood connection is real. My wife is a, a twin, Right? She looks nothing like her twin. If we brought her here, you would not know it. But they have a connection. They have a connection that goes beyond um, normal siblings. I don't know what it is. But I look, and you watch these specials that, where people have been disconnected at birth. They've been t- torn apart at birth, either through adoption or something. And later in life, they go and find their sibling. And the moment they find their sibling, there's an immediate connection. And so this is akin to our connection in the Lord that we have one with each other. And that even though your siblings may not behave right all the time, if we can get an amen in the house, they're still your siblings and you love them. Even in their worst moment, even when they're not responding to you the way they don't, you want them to respond, even when they're being selfish, even when they're ghosting you and not calling you back, you still love them. And see, if we can get this church, mm, I believe it's the breeding ground for miracles. Because that's what God works through is love. Faith works through love. Faith works through love. If you don't know God loves you, what are you how are you going to believe? So, here we go. I got, got off track, but we're back. Siblings. We love our siblings. Amen. The message from the beginning, he says, because that's what Jesus said. Love one another. He says it in John 13. He says it in John 15. I'll let you go study that out. But it's in the Bible many times. Look at it. I said it last time. One anothering is a powerful concept. There are so many one another's in the New Testament. Go look at them all. Uh, next, I want to look at this. First, let's continue in 1 John three sixteen. He says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now we know love. We didn't know love before. We didn't know what love was before until we got this revelation of Christ's sacrificial love for us. And what does that mean in our lives? This sacrificial love. We've got patterns in our life of relating to one another, And let's just be honest, they've been distorted, they've been dysfunctional. Amen? 
And until we see the sacrificial love of God and what it, what it really means to lay down your life, Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. And Jesus demonstrates it. He tells them, this is what true love is, but I'm going to demonstrate it to you through the cross. So sacrificial love, until we knew that, our love was distorted. And some of us, it's still distorted. God's still fixing our concept of what true love is. And, and so he says, here's your new pattern. And it means changing some patterns in our life of relating that God wants to heal. What happens when you lose that loving feeling? Do you keep loving? Because love's not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice of your will to choose to love. I'm committed to these people of God. Even, even if they may waver, I'm going to be committed to them. I'm a covenant people because I have serve a covenant-keeping God. Come on. And he desires a covenant-keeping people who will love one another the way he's loved us. And, you know, here's the reality to go from this nature to see this thing worked out in our lives because the reality is we need to be looking in the mirror of God's word to see who God says we are and allowing that word as we meditate on that word as we look in the mirror of his word as our minds are renewed and the eyes of our understanding is open are opened to who we really are in Christ that's how it works and then as you get that, as that becomes clear to you through his word, guess what? You begin by faith to release that through your life. You live out what he says you are. And it's not in your own ability. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. So that's nature. But number two, loving one another is also a matter of nurture. All the moms said. Thank you for moms. Come on. They nurtured us. They loved us. They may not have always done it perfectly, but thank God they did. But God nurtures us. He nurtures us. And this word nurture means to feed and protect. It's to support and encourage as during the period of training or development to foster something in us. To bring up, train, and educate us. That's what nurturing is. And as a parent, we understand this. We're trying to do this, aren't we? We're trying to bring our kids up, and we have desires for them, and we want to see them fulfill the purpose of God. We want to see them walk in, in his, his will for their life. We want to see them have a wonderful spouse. Whatever it is, you have desires, and you nurture them, and, and, and you teach them the values of, that God has in his word. You teach them scripture. You train them up in the, the way they should go. And the Bible says and when they're older, they won't depart from it. But we educate and we nurture our children. And so, so it is with us. And this love in us needs to be nurtured. It needs to come out. It needs to be fed. And so you've got to discover God's sacrificial love. And then you have to have it nurtured in you. Here's the pattern that Jesus set before us. The Bible says that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, that it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. I don't think there was joy in, 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 the, in, the, in the beating and the stripes on his back and the skin being pulled off. I don't think there was joy when they pressed that cross against his back and the splinters and the weight and going up the hill of Calvary. Are you with me this morning? I don't think there was joy. He wasn't even thinking about himself in the whole process. 
That's what that says. For the joy set before him. What was the joy? It was us. He was completely selfless in his sacrifice. And there is the pattern for our love. To be such that I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to put aside my own happiness, my own convenience, and lay down my life for somebody else. For a brother or sister. That's how radical this is. I mean, this isn't human. Humans don't do this. This goes against every fiber of our selfish being, doesn't it? But it's possible because of God's love in us and through us. And so we see it. He was completely outward. Are you with me? That one moment in the garden, he had to say, I don't want to do this, but if it's your will, take this cup from me if you can. But nevertheless, your will be done. And once that decision was made, once that commitment was made, he was set and he was going. And he said, I'm not turning back. He was determined. And so we have to have that kind of determination in us. I've made a commitment to you, Lord, but I've got to see it's something different. It's not just to you, Lord. It's to your people. You got quiet there. It's to your people. Because the reality is, I don't love God any more than I love his people. John says it this way. He says, if, how can you say you love God whom you can't see when you don't love your brother whom you do see? So I can say it's just me and Jesus. I love Jesus. This, this thing. No, you really don't love Jesus more than you love his people and his church. Those things have been separated. But the reality is they can't be because you're in the family. All right, you guys got way too quiet. All right. <laughs> Calling this meeting to order. <clears throat> I had a friend tell me this way how you discover the levels of selfishness in your life. When I was single, and you would have asked me, are you, you know, if you would have said, you're selfish, I would say, no, I'm a youth pastor. I give my life for these kids and, you know, all that stuff. And then um, I got married, and I go, oh, yeah, I am selfish. I had to incorporate somebody else into my life, and now she had, I had to lay down my life for her, and it didn't come naturally. I thought it would. Doing the dishes, doing things, and and changing my life to accommodate her. I had to make decisions of my will each and every day to love her. And I had to choose. It wasn't, I'm telling you, there's days when that loving feeling ain't there. Come on, people, let's just be honest. You guys had an argument. You got something going on between you, and you're looking at them going, I know that never happens to any of you people. (laughs) I've lost that love and feeling. And so I thought, okay, I'm getting this thing. I started getting the marriage thing, and then, then we had kids. Oh, wait, there's still some selfishness left there. I still don't want to get up at 3 a.m. and give the bottle. 
You know, my son, he's not in here, I'll owe him money for this, but uh, he didn't sleep through the night till he was six years old. So uh, thankfully for my wife and, and her sacrifice during those times, that was much greater than mine. But you've, you, your sleep has been disrupted. You've been, but it's because you love this little baby. And then you grow up, you get older, and you kind of forget these things. You just remember all the good moments. It's amazing because you're love. You see, you see the child, and you're going, I don't remember. Oh, wait, yeah, you did keep us up through the night. So we realize that there's selfishness, and it comes, it so it is in our relationships, folks. If we're going to grow in the love of God, hear me out, don't get quiet. Um, if we're going to lo- grow in the love of God, it means that we get in relationships with people who rub us the wrong way. We get in relationships with people who aren't like us. The world's way of relating is to get with people who like the same things, who do the same things, who, you know. And he says, if you love people who only love you, how are you any better than the world? But God, God I, he'll do this. He'll bring into your life people who are just going to rub you wrong. And you're like, what is wrong with this person? And God's like, no, I'm trying to do something in you. Your response to this person says way more than that person's behavior. How many know there's relationships that are growing relationships? People that challenge you and you're like, hmm, by faith. But if you believe, God's love will work through that. And that's how God's love increases in us. I know it's not the way you want it. You just said, I'm just going to have a me and Jesus time and his love's going to flow. And it's gonna get, no, it's going to be through people and relationships that you have to grow in. And so many times we try to avoid these types of relationships because we're afraid. Come on, we've been hurt. We've got baggage. We've got bitterness. We've got, and we do self-protective things, right? We say, I've been hurt before, so I'm just not going to be vulnerable because I've been hurt before. And many times there's been real hurt there. But God can heal that this morning. Come on. God can heal that. God can heal you to the point where you just, you're not afraid anymore. Perfect love casts out all fear. And by the way, that's in the context of fellowship and relationship. I said that's in the context of, that's not, that doesn't just happen like some magic thing. It happens because you are in relationship with God's people. Then that perfect love can work. We are like stones in the river. That God wants to kill the enemy. Come on. But stones in the river are in the flow of God's presence, but they bang around with other stones and they get smooth that way. And so all that friction, all that commotion, all that stuff that comes in the church. So you, you got into church and you're like, man, these people, they should know how to relate to me. They're Christians. They know better. They know. Come on. You've had that thought. And right, the reality is they should know better. 
But you don't apply that same standard to yourself, do we? Say, no, give me grace. Come on, I missed the mark. No, I'm the only one, all right? (laughs) He is in a process of relational formation to love like Christ. And this process is beautiful if we will submit to it, if we'll allow God to work in us in these relationships that are difficult, if we'll put ourselves in a place to be known and to know, to be known and to know, and to be willing to go to those places and take risks, even though somebody might hurt you. They might, there's no guarantees. Human behavior is not predictable. They might hurt you. They might turn on you. They might betray you. They might annoy you. They might do whatever. But God is trying to bring you to a point where your joy is not in their response, but in the giving, in the loving. It's not bad to like the response. Come on, it's it's nicer to be liked and loved than it is to be hated, for sure. Nobody likes to be hated, if we're honest, right? But we've got defensive, self-protective ways. We've got self, we've got pride, self-centeredness that God is trying to work out of us. That thing where we take, take, take from relationships and we don't give, give, give. God wants to make it so we're givers. Because Paul says in Acts chapter 20, he says, it's blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm telling you, when you discover that, that is freedom and true joy. And that's in relationships too. Look at this in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3:11 and tw- through 12. It says, "Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you." Now here's let me just give a little context. Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica has said he said three more than once I tried to come to you and Satan hindered me. He so desired to come to Thessalonica and, he's th- and he says, Satan hindered him. And he makes this statement. He says, for my, our joy and our glory is you. I want you to see something. Paul was willing to go through hell and high water to get to these people because he loved them so much. So he says, hey, let the Lord direct my way to you. And may the Lord cause you. This is the prayer. And this is a prayer we need to grab hold of. May the Lord cause us to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. What he had set the example by his love for them. You saw my example, and then he commends them because they became an example of love. Yet, yet in spite of that, he says, may you increase and abound more in your love for one another. None of us have arrived. May this be an endeavor of our heart. May it be a prayer. We pray for all sorts of things. Are we praying and asking God to cause us to increase and abound more in our love for one another? Nurture this thing. Then in his second letter to the Thessalonians, he says, look, his prayer got answered. This is awesome. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. 
God answered that prayer. They saw that letter and they went, okay, we can love more. We can increase. Now, see, this, is, this church is a loving church. I'm just going to say it. You're a loving people. That's, and that's a testimony I think we have. Amen? We love one another, and it's proven in so many different ways. But even with that, God's challenging us. Increase and abound even more. And it comes down to individuals making a decision, saying this is going to be an endeavor of my life. Are there relationships where I'm having friction? Is there something more, God, you're trying to work in me through that? Do I need to go deeper in relationship with other people? Have I been shallow because I'm afraid? Is there fear? Are there there hindrances in my life that prevent me from going to that place in relationship where you're calling me? Not only in depth, but the increase is in breadth. Why? Because I begin to relate to people outside of my comfort zone. I relate to people outside of my comfort zone. People who I might not naturally be hanging out with. I challenge that to you, young people. Who's, who's in your circle? Go outside it. Extend that circle. Extend the tent pegs of your tent to reach people who you've never, ever considered before. Maybe it's in Samaria. Maybe it's in that place that's off limits that God's calling you to those people to extend your tent pegs to bring them in. Then look at... oh. This isn't the right time. Okay. (laughs) Hebrews, so tempted. Uh, All right. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 10, 24. We're not going to be clanging symbols, man. God's got better things for us. All right. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Oh, I'm going to say that again. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The NIV says, let us consider how to spur on one another. Any cowboys in the house? We got a bunch of them up here in Washington, don't we? Um, Okay. Anyone know what a spur is? Spur is a device with a small spike on a spike wheel that is worn on a rider's heel and used for urging a horse forward. So we're going to spur each other on. We'll give them a little bit of a... "Mm." Nicely, people. The passage... Here's what it implies, though. That we have a responsibility. I'm going to get this. We have a responsibility to care for each other's spiritual growth. You say, hey, pastor, so-and-so, they look like they're in a tough situation. Will God put that on your heart? Go talk to them. Pray for them. I mean, well, I'm, we're always praying for, but you pray for them. It's we need to care about the growth of other Christians, and when God and we care so much, we love them, and we we care as much or more about their well-being than our own. That's what Philippians two says. Then God will start putting people on your heart. God will start bringing people to your mind to pray for and showing things in their lives that he desires to touch or to speak to. And guess what? In that love, that's where the gifts begin to flow. That's where the gifts begin to flow. 
That's why Paul sandwiches this right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He's talking about gifts, and he talks about love, and then he talks about gifts again. He goes, because love is the root, love is the motivation for all the gifts. And so as you are praying for people, as you are seeking the Lord for them, as you are loving them and is concerned for their spiritual well-being even more so than your own, then guess what? God begins to speak to you, to them through you. All right. I feel like I lost you. All right. NIV. So we're going to spur. But it says consider this. Now guess what? The way I spur on one person is going to be different than another. Why? Because they're different people. Different. <laughs> Pastor John said different donkeys. I didn't call you that, but I would include myself. Yes. Uh, yes, I've been spurred several times. It feels good after it's over. All right. But it's a, <laughs> we we would be thoughtful on how to stimulate one another. I want to challenge you to something. When you come together to a service like today or a home group or a fellowship, do you go considering this? That's a challenge. Because we live in a consumer society, and that mindset has gotten into the church. That means I go to church and I go to fellowship to get something only. Yes, you should receive. It'll happen. But you know when you receive the greatest, and you, you know this is true, when God's flowing through you to somebody else, you receive. You, can't get, you cannot get something when, when God's moving through you. But that's not your motive. When you get this sacrificial love motive in your life, then your concern is them. And then you experience that true joy. That is not circumstantial joy. That is not joy based on how I feel, but based on the opportunity to give and to encourage and to strengthen another believer. That's the joy that surpasses understanding. That's the joy unspeakable and full of glory. That I can be going through hell, except I can still give in that moment and experience God's joy. All right. Where were we? All right. Do we have this mindset? And, and here's the thing. When we consider how to spur somebody on, God knows exactly how they need to be spurred on. And he'll speak that to us. And there's a gentleness in it. You see, even with my parenting, I don't address one child the same way I address the other one. They're different. How many know that? You can't always discipline one the same way you do the other. Because they're unique persons. They're unique people, and they're wired differently. And so the Holy Spirit, who searches hearts, knows exactly how a person's wired. And he'll speak to you, and he'll show you how to spur them on in a loving way. This is spiritual maturity in Ephesians chapter 4. It is that we are to attain to speaking the truth in love. It's an indicator of maturity. Let that be an endeavor in our life. Amen? And it's not... This, and, and some of you, right, we, we've had those people come up to us and tell us how to be spiritual, and you're going, I don't, I'm not sure you're doing that. <laughs> uh, and we all, we all heard the parents who said, don't do as I say, but do as I, uh, don't do as I do, but do as I say. Paul did not say that. That's why he gave the example. 
He says, follow my example. As I follow Christ, follow me. In other words, he had this responsibility to be an example to other believers. And he gives it to Timothy. Be an example in faith and word and conduct and all these things. Be an example. So if I'm going to spur somebody on, my first check is my own self and going, well, am I in a place to speak this to them? Romans 12, 9 says this, let love be without hypocrisy. It bore what is evil, cling to what is good. And listen to this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And we just meditate on that for a while, right? But without hypocrisy, that means what I'm encouraging you in is something hopefully I'm already doing myself. Otherwise, and that's, you know, the world's always throwing that at us. Oh, you guys are hypocrites. Well, so are you. You're all hypocrites. There's only one true God. There's only one who's been true and never been a hypocrite, and it's Jesus. Nurturing through proper feeding, encouragement, training. Let's look at the rest of it. I'm almost done here. 1 John 3, 17 through 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. John asked this. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So he speaks to material goods, but he also speaks to the deeds. There's just things that we can do. So this love doesn't stop it, an internal thing that God's doing in and through us. It's actually seen in how we treat other people and how we give to other people. So thirdly, loving one another is a matter of need. How many know there's needs all around us? And the Holy Spirit wants to work through you as a vessel to meet those needs and to be an answer. Amen? You got quiet. All right. But he said, without love, we can give, even if we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, he says, we can give to the poor and do all that stuff without love, it's not profitable. But if you have the love of God, and then you give from that place, it's very profitable. There is, that's what Paul was saying when I went back to the offering passage in, in Philippians 4. He goes, I seek for the profit to your account. There's a profit when we give out of love and in sincerity. Amen. It's profitable to the kingdom of God. It's profitable to people's lives when we give that way. John says it's not enough for us to say we love each other, but to actually demonstrate it. See, Christ demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That sacrificial love looks like something. It's, it's, there's a practicality to it. That I give up of my own convenience and time and maybe my own happiness in, in order to help somebody else's well-being i get up i'm that friend at midnight who has to get up and go get some bread for my friend who just came over are you with me there is a practicality to it keep fervent in your love for in our love for one another and first peter 4 8 says above all keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins Woo. you know Chris has a term that I'm, I'm getting hold of. He calls it forgettery. Yes, right? My forgettery. And uh, he said, he claims, I don't know yet, he claims that when you get older, this gets worse. 
or your, impre- your forgettery improves, right? Did you know that there's a forgettery in love? There's a forgettery in love. I can look at people all over this congregation and at some point who are in crises and in terrible situations in their life, and literally I have to remember it. Maybe you had a bad, huge backsliding, and I mean, you can have such love in your heart that you, you almost forget it. I heard one minister give this story where he was, he'd had this couple in his church who had turned against him and were really angry at him and were saying all sorts of bad things about him. And, you know, he knew about it, but he just loved them and prayed for them. And about a month after all this went down, him and his wife were driving out and they come up to this person's store and he's like, I'm going to go ahead and say hi to so-and-so. His wife looks at him and goes, are you crazy? Don't you remember what they said to us? No, I don't. Because he was so full of the love of God. You can actually live in that place. It's a real place. God can make you look, cause you to see past people's failings. Love covers a multitude of sins. We can live in that place. Finally, serving is laying down your life for others. First Peter 4, 9 through 10. I'm going to finish here. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As good stewards. So if you've got, I'm going to call them an EGR. We've all had EGRs. You know what an EGR is? Jose, you know what an EGR is? Extra grace required person. (laughs) Extra grace required. You don't have those people in your life? Okay, good. <laughs> if, you, if you have an extra grace required person in your life, all right? Just wait. Yeah, just wait. You will. <laughs> you need an extra EGR. You tap into God's grace, right? Maybe God put that EGR in your life so that you could get a greater revelation of God's grace. And we start seeing it differently, right? That, you know, God, you can help me love this person as you love me. It's possible. Faith says that. That's the starting point. By faith, I believe, God, your love is in me. By faith, God, I believe that I can love this person as you love them, even though I'm irritated. I heard someone say, well, you know, you've got to love other people. You don't have to like them. I'm like, uh, What? I can't differentiate those two. That's just a way of getting around it. It's an excuse. It means I can avoid them. No, the people who you're trying to avoid are probably the people you need to get near. Get past your fear. Get past your anxiety. Get past your your self-protective stuff that we do and say, hey, I need to reach out. What is it that's keeping me? What is it relationally that God's trying to form in my life to make me love let love increase and abound more and more one for another and for all in my life can you stand oh actually we're doing sit stand thing this morning (laughs) I forgot we're having communion maybe the worship team can come you guys can sit back down all right 
Praise God. All right, sorry. Uh, but I believe God wants to work it in our hearts and um, do a new, new thing in us and through us and increase the depth and the breadth and the height and the, um, of, a, of the love of God in our lives. Amen? Expand our tent pegs, if you will. Help us to grow in his love. As we come to the communion table this morning, I think it's appropriate to look at these things. If I could have the pastors join us, join me. <clears throat> Let's see. Here we go. I forgot we got these COVID-friendly things. Yeah, all right. We'll get back to real communion eventually, but uh, these work for now. Um, praise the Lord. If we could have those who are helping with communion come forward. and I just want to share some things. It says in 1 Corinthians 11... Verses 7 through 34. We always read the verses before that. We will read that. But this passage is interesting. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For... He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgments to himself. You guys can go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. Eats and drinks judgments to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. I'm going to say that again. He eats and drinks judgments to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth and he's addressing an issue because they would come together for communion and it turned into a kind of a crazy potluck except they didn't share and those who didn't have were not getting in other words, it was very self-centered. It was selfish. It was not what God had intended. So Paul's bringing a correction to how they're having communion together. And, and I think sometimes we read this passage and we go, and maybe it's been interpreted and, well, am I worthy to take communion? He's talking about not your worthiness, but taking it in an unworthy manner. Taking it in an unworthy manner. And he specifically says the unworthy manner is when we don't judge the body rightly. It's Christ's church. It's Christ's people. It's moving out of that self-centered me place yes. to recognize his body, his people, and that I'm a part of it. 
to recognize that I, just as I've been sharing this morning, need to love these people, need to be concerned with them and their well-being. So much that I'd give up my own meals so that those who don't have, have some. Are you with me? And he shares that and he challenges them. You guys all have some? All right. And he challenges them and he says, judge yourselves, examine yourselves. But what, we're, what are we examining ourselves of is, have I had the right attitude towards Christ's people and the body of Christ? Is there something that's between me and another believer that shouldn't be? Is there, have I been selfish? Have I, I mean, you know these things. The Holy Spirit will show us and reveal these things. But whether we're worthy, listen, this whole act of remembrance is this. We're remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that we're remembering his sacrifice because we, we, we could never be worthy. We could never be worthy of his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy. Are you with me this morning? And therefore we remember that it's our very unworthiness and our acknowledgement of that and our belief and our trust in him as a savior that brings us into this place of being part of his body. Are you with me? That his blood was shed for me. His body was beaten, bruised, pierced for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon his head. That's what we remember. And, but I want to ask this morning, if we'll just for a moment in prayer, this is between you and the Lord. This one is a me and Jesus moment. <laughs> Lord, is there something in my life? Is there something between me and another believer that needs to be set right? Have I truly loved the brethren as you've called me to? And it can be as simply as this, Lord, I want to help me do it. Help me. I believe in your love for me, but I also believe this morning in your love through me. I wonder if you take a moment and just ask the Lord where you're at. Is there something that needs to be set right? Just as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if you go to present your gift at the altar and there remember that somebody has aught with you, go and make it right. Go and make it right before you bring your act of worship. Is there somebody, another believer who's had aught with you and you have not had a chance to reconcile that thing? And maybe this morning it's just time to say, Lord, I commit it to you and I commit to you that I will make it right. And release that forgiveness that's needed. Release that grace that's needed into that situation. Father, we thank you this morning because of your blood, there's forgiveness of sin. God, that you've reconciled us unto yourself and you've given us the ministry of reconciliation that we'd be reconciled one to another. Lord, we endeavor this morning to make loving the brethren our number one priority. Our number one priority. 
because in so doing it is an expression of our love to you and it is an expression of your love for us to them Lord I pray this morning Holy Spirit just as says in Romans chapter 5 verse 5 that you would come and you would shed abroad the love of God in our heart by your spirit broader than it's been before help us to go deeper help us to go broader in our relationships with one another Lord I thank you that fear is going in the name of Jesus that your perfect love is casting out fear that you bring healing to those hurts those disappointments those pains those things that have kept us from relating the way you desire us to I thank you that there's miraculous healing in this place this morning because of what you've given us in the cross your sacrificial love for us we know love by this that you gave your life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren thank you this morning that by your spirit you're shifting our hearts to that place we give you praise we give you glory just had a thought that Paul also said to love your wives as Christ loves the church and we are as a man I can say we can uh, offend our wives more than anybody that we know upon the earth so I believe in that prayer that John prayed there that we also you know, forgive ourselves for being not the perfect husband all the time. <laughs> so Lord, forgive us as men this morning. Lord, as we stand here before you, that we can love our wives as Christ loved the church. Lord, and it's only through because you so loved the world that you gave your son that we could be saved, that we could be washed, that we could be here this morning giving honor and glory and praise to your name for what you did upon the cross and has made us whole. In the name of Jesus, we can partake of the bread. For as it says, for I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.